I think we're sort of on a really critical edge right now. And I would love to say it's an edge of tremendous opportunity because I think there is tremendous opportunity, but there's some decisions that organizations and corporations need to make about how we move forward in engaging diverse suppliers. I don't have, don't certainly don't have all the answers, but like everything else I do, I, I want to pick at it and break it and put it back together and see, see how we come to this. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. And today, as always, your two favorite co-hosts, Adam and Chloe, are here again. And joining us today is Chris Oswald, the Vice President of Global Supplier Diversity at UPS. Chris has a career spanning over 30 years with UPS and has been a key player in helping their supplier diversity program evolve over time. Chris is not only passionate about increasing opportunities for diverse businesses to transact with UPS, but she also brings experience from across the UPS enterprise, identifying where results fall short of desires and redesigning metrics, processes, and systems to better achieve those goals. And Chris, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you on here with us today. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. I am I am excited. I'm a big fan of the work that both of you do. So uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, the, the feeling's mutual, you know, and, and I will say this about Chris. Uh, we, uh, we, we swim in a lot of the same lanes together. And anytime we go to conferences, we're both there, that type of thing. But the, the, what, what aggravates me is she's like, oh, yeah, I've got opportunities. I'm like, hmm. It must be nice to be in an organization <laughs> with trucks and plants and trucks and parts. And man, I'm telling you what I'm like, so recession we don't proof. Have that. Recession yeah, proof. Yes, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm just looking for people. <laughs> Chris has got a laundry list in front of her. I'm like, can I come do some of your one-on-one for you? I mean, that might be a little you know more what, Adam, You're welcome anytime. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah, that is so interesting. I think conferences are a good time to meet people. But I mean, this is a question for both of you. How much do you really absorb from meeting, you know, diverse suppliers? I mean, I mean, what really stands out when you're talking to someone? Yeah, because there's so many people. That yeah, you're there's meeting a ton in a day. Uh, yeah, you know, there, there, there's a ton of people. Um, and, and you certainly can't soak it all up. Mm -mm. But um, individual businesses will stand out. You know, yes. folks that Most definitely. are prepared, incredible, stand up, and they're the ones that you take the time to follow up with and yep. you invest more time in afterwards. Um, but sadly, those are often the exception um, when yeah. you're in a large conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but those who are prepared and 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 know how to present themselves, you know, based on what 
you know, we need or we're looking for or the, the strategy and personality that sort of goes with our company. Um, we do find them. You know, yeah. we do find yeah. them. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is for me, it's a great personal touch point. You know, these small right. and diverse businesses, they don't have a, a ton of capital to come and fly in and out of Atlanta to see Chris and I personally. So, you know, going to the conferences, meeting them there, setting aside five, 10 minutes in between sessions or on the showroom floor. It's a great way to continue developing relationships. And that's really what I lean on the conferences to do is for that personal interaction. These video conferences are great, right? I mean, we've all been doing Zoom now for almost two years and um, they're wonderful. It's a great way to be doing, I know, right? But to have that personal interaction to kind of read the person um, because, and, and I think Chris will agree with this next statement, sometimes our own personal political capitals at stake when we put mm. suppliers forward to our different sourcing agents, right? So yes, we want absolutely. to make sure that we've actually physically looked this person in the eyes and like, can mm -hmm. you do what you're telling me you can do? And that's what the conferences do for me too. Yeah. Without doubt, but they are they are they are a piece. They're not the largest piece of the puzzle, um, but they're they're just they're just a part of it, right? And it only works if you do it well. Yep, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. So, I mean, going down that path, if we talk about just that's a tool, you know, where else would you know the suppliers that we're listening to? How would they connect with with corporations and really know and try to introduce themselves if they don't go to conferences? What are some some ways that you guys can suggest? Well, shoot. I mean, the, the good thing about UPS is we're we're everywhere in some form or fashion, right? We're everywhere in some form. Whether whether you're a customer and you've got a salesperson that you can talk to who can get you connected, whether you just go online and find us. And then, you know, we're engaged with lots of organizations, right? Not just supplier diversity organizations, but chambers, various associations. And, you know, we show up at all sorts of places. You know, we'll show up at, you know, high tech conferences talking about robotics and AI and what our needs are. And that's that's where you really want to meet us is that some of those um, trade specific conferences that are not supplier diversity conferences, they're they're about robotics. Well, guess who we have there? The people who will make decisions about our robotics investments. Those are some of the best places to meet us. And, and yes, you can, you can find our website and our email address, my team's phone number online and contact us, whatever. But um, really get in front of the buyers at those you know, sort of industry-specific events um, can be mm -hmm. very powerful. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll say the same thing to the supplier diversity professionals listening to us is take advantage of those industry specific events, right? So I also attend things like VMSA Live and CWS because my commodity on the supplier diversity side is contingent labor and SOW staff aug. So I've met more diverse suppliers at a CWS conference, um, sometimes then at an NMSDC conference, just because that's where they're going, because that's what that industry is, and those buyers are there. So to Chris's point, you've got to broaden your net, too. If you want to find good quality diverse suppliers, you got to broaden your net as an SD team, too. Yeah, yeah. So definitely attending some of those industry specific conferences would be a really good bet yeah. for some of the suppliers that that we listen mm -hmm. to and and that we talk to. Tell us a little bit about you and and how you ended up in supply. Yeah, we diversity. all know you, but our listeners might not. So <laughs> they don't. And yeah. I want you also to, I mean, because once it once you start talking about how you ended up in supplier diversity, oh. the passion will come through. Oh. And I, I so just yeah, true. you can definitely yeah. talk so, about just so your passion turn up, around. Turn up your devices diversity. and pay attention because this is gonna be amazing. 
Well, you know, you know, and, and, and Adam, you know, it's my story. I'm sort of an odd duck in the, in the supplier diversity world. I've only been doing this for the last, about the last, I can't believe it's actually been three years now that I've been engaged in this. Um, so already I feel like it's been too long. I've, I've actually never done a single job at UPS more than three years. And so in my 32 years at the company, um, it's continual movement into something new. And that, that's just because that's who I am. I get bored too easily. Um, and I'm somebody who I like to create, right? Create something new, break something down, rebuild it. And so I've spent my uh, my career at UPS doing that, you know, 25 or more years um, on the customer facing side. So, you know, if you've tracked the package that got delivered to your front door, you know, how many yellow notices have you had on your front door? I've, I've had a hand in designing the last 30 years of those, right? So it's those sorts of customer facing parts and pieces and processes that UPS does billing and claims and all sorts of stuff that, that was the, you know, the bread and butter of my career. But what it really amounted to is um, I find lots of things fascinating. I find how our organization works fascinating. I sort of build a career out of figuring that out and then how to shift it and change it in different ways and then design the processes and technology to go with it. So, you know, a few years ago, uh, the organization looked at supplier diversity and felt like we were just too stagnant. We had been sort of at the same level of spend and just doing the same things for many, many years. And um, we had great people in the supplier diversity roles, fantastic people who were very, very passionate about diversity, but maybe they'd spent their whole career in finance and accounting or their whole career in, in procurement and didn't, didn't really have that breadth of how do you change and impact a whole organization. So uh, that's when I was asked to take on the job. And, you know, I was asked on a, I don't know, it was probably a Monday. And the following week I was to start and uh, uh, show up in Detroit at a conference. And I, at that point, I didn't know what supplier diversity was. I mean, I said yes, because I say yes to every job UPS asked me to do. That's how I, that's how I roll. Um, but I showed up at my first conference trying to figure out what supplier diversity was. And um, which should say something about how stagnant we've become, because I had been with UPS for that long. I had worked with vendors, I'd hired vendors. How is it as a stakeholder, I'd never come across this term before. So um, that was sort of a slap in the face that that we had to make change. And uh, so, so yes, yeah, so I came up three years ago. Um, you know, my background in uh, global operations, my background in all sorts of functions um, has been helpful because it, it helps me understand how our organization works, who the key players are, and then how to motivate people to engage and work together um, to drive results. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's been noticeable too, right? Uh, being in the, like I said, in that space, I mean, UPS has come on like gangbusters and it's been an amazing transformation to see. I still remember that first conference actually, Chris. That, <laughs> I think that's where we were oh, first why? introduced. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think I think all of us have kind of that same story, right? So I remember when my boss walks up to me and goes, "Hey, you know technology real well, and you do well with people. What, come to this conference with me." I didn't know who she was. I really didn't know what she did. I sure <laughs> couldn't have defined supplier adversity to myself. You're like, oh, oh you work here? Okay, yeah, like, okay, and you're who? Sure. Um, and all Adam heard was not in office for eight hours, and I'm like, I'm in. What are yeah. we doing? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I did matchmaking for eight hours the next day. That's how I got broken in. But it's the same thing, right, Chris? I think you and I have talked about this before. You start talking to the business owners and you start kind of getting ingrained into it. You're like, yeah. this is exciting. These are people who really want to make a difference and who I can see huge potential with. And I, you just, 
you feel empowered, empowering them, I think is a great way of putting it, you know, and um, whether we have come into it by some serendipitous chance, uh, which I think is kind of Chris's and I story, um, or this has been something you've been doing long term. It is an amazing place to be. And it's just it's just so much fun. Right, right. And you, you know, Adam, you, know, you can make real impact in people's lives. Yeah, that's, you can. that's all I want. Yes. I, want, I want to drive results that mean something to the organization and mean something to people. I don't care if it's, you know, procurement or uh, finance and accounting, or I've done injury reporting processes, but I was making differences in people's lives who were injured. On, you know, that's all I want. And this was a great place to do it. And then, of course, it taps into um, the equity and inclusion piece, which was is a part that I've, I've always cared about, but not really been able to translate into action that I felt was important Meaningful. and impactful. Mm-hmm. And so when that came together, it was like, wow, this is, this is sort of a magic combination. It, it's awesome. It really yeah. is awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the positions in corporate America, one of the few positions in corporate America that when you go home at night or turn off your computer, cause you're already at home, um, you're like, wow, we really did do something. You know, we we really we did get that supplier in. We did get that introduction made. You know, we did make a difference, and it's it's rewarding because in in previous jobs, it's like, well, we want a contract. Hmm. Tomorrow, the new MSA comes across my desk, and we start the process again. So, I'm, oh, I'm, we get both sides out of we 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 get to make an true. impact, but we also get to see how much work is yet to be done. Oh, right? and we're Chris, right up is close that, to that. Is that not the truth? I mean, that really is. I mean, I keep telling people it's it's like an onion, right? You just keep peeling back layers and it's still there and it's still there and it's still there. But if we don't do it, then it doesn't get done. So it's great stuff. So when we talk about just like the work that still needs to be done, because I know, Chris, I mean, you talked about UPS being stagnant. I've heard that from so many companies, but they don't really know what to do about it. I mean, can you maybe share both? Oh, that's, this is great. Yes. (laughs) Some things that have made some real improvements. So, I mean, share what you, what you guys think would work when your programs become stagnant. Well, you know, for me, one of the first things that I saw when I came into the role is that, you know, people still saw um, supplier diversity and, and to be honest, lots of areas of, of, of diversity, equity, inclusion, and company, not just suppliers, you know, as, as an extra, right? As you do your job and I have to do this and you do your job and I should, I should do this as a part of it. It's sort of a, you know, if it wasn't on a checklist, it wasn't going to happen, right? That extra effort. <laughs> right. Um, and I remember somebody saying, well, you know, the first thing you need to do, Chris, is, is get some diversity action items on the sourcing checklist. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I think we need to do that, but that just doesn't feel like it's you know sourcing they love those checklists death by process so so one of the first things i did was really just get behind the the why we do this get behind the business case um not in a trite way like you got to have a good value statement or something but really understand why we do this and and i feel very very fortunate at ups because there is so much synergy between finding and developing diverse businesses as suppliers to our growth strategy, right? So our growth strategy at UPS is aligned to small and medium-sized businesses. And who starts small and medium-sized businesses faster than anybody else? Diverse populations do, right? Black businesses are starting, starting businesses, starting businesses. You know, where is the faster growth coming from? It's from diverse businesses. So that's where the potential is for these businesses to grow and to use UPS as a customer. 
So it's now it's not just procurement trying to develop diverse businesses. Now I can get the marketing team excited about it because there's potential there. Now I can get um, our public affairs team excited about it because they see how it ties to the strategy. Um, and now when you talk to um, category teams of procurement, it's not an extra. It's they can start to see how they sitting in procurement can impact the, the strategy of the organization. And it becomes a way to solve a problem and a way to reach a goal and not an extra thing you have to do. But you know, changing that mindset is not a fast process, right, for a lot of people. Um, and I found you have to be, you got to be pretty in tune to people. You got to be able to understand when people are shining you on because nobody's going to say they they won't do supplier diversity or they think it's a bad idea. Everybody's going to say the right words to be on board. But you got to be able to read their actions and then sort of understand what's motivating that and how do you how do you change that? Um, and that to me, that was the most important thing that we did was position this as a way to reach our business goals and to solve problems through innovation and efficiency and flexibility and uh, customer demand and employee demand and all those things, right, became the real why behind we do this. Um, and that was that was step number one for sure. So do you think that, you know, as supplier diversity professionals that you spend just as much time, you know, sort of marketing to your internal stakeholders as you do like meetings. You heard us both grunt when you said that, right? <laughs> meeting new suppliers. I mean, because I mean, part of what you said that you did is this changing mindset. And yeah. I imagine that that is a widespread issue just across the board, no matter what company size, even if they're in their infancy, like just getting the supplier diversity program started, I'm sure right. is a is a feat in itself. Yeah, that, that was a big piece. When I first came in, what I, what I was sort of taught was the network and the conferences and the go meet the suppliers. It was what I did my very first week. And, and that's important, but it's sort of meaningless if you don't have the internal processes and the buy-in and engagement short up. So I did a major shift um, and I did a shift to really focus most of my time. In the first year, I said I wanted to at least be 70% of my time focused internally in the office on the people, on the processes, on the systems, on the metrics, on the all of that stuff to drive the organizational change. I will still go to all the conferences. We went to like 50 events a year, little ones, it, big ones, all that stuff. You build up it's some miles in this job. Yeah. <laughs> so we you still really did do. that. Um, but but that was you know that was about 30% of my time. Um, as I continue to work on this, I, I continue to spend more time focused um not a, not on the finding new suppliers. Now I'm, I'm, you know, happy enough now that I've gone from a one-person show to a seven-person show. So I have a team that spends a lot of time finding suppliers. But all of us, even even my supplier diversity managers who are focused on certain categories of spend and driving diversity in those categories of spend, spend more of their time internally than externally, um, because that's that's how you drive the wheel, and that's how you magnify your impact, right? We never want to be the bottleneck. So we want our category teams and our stakeholders all looking for diverse suppliers, all vetting diverse suppliers. It can't just come from the supplier diversity team. Everybody needs to be engaged. It's a it's a big wheel to get turning and it takes you know a lot of effort and time to get the wheel going. But I really believe that once that's chugging along, that's that's going to have a more meaningful impact than 
you know, my team running around the conferences and bringing back lists of suppliers for people. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I mean, just like I said, you would have never known Chris had never come from a supplier diversity background talking to her, even day one, right? And so this whole view of internal and external is is absolutely amazing. And I think it's something that we sometimes lose focus of in, in our own profession. We get so wrapped up in the conferences and this board and that board and, you know, this, you know, come talk over here and come talk over there. Sometimes we ignore internal customers and they're sitting there going, well, we see you guys on LinkedIn and you're wearing tuxes and nice dresses and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, you know, and, and, and you sit there and go, hmm may have missed the message a little bit on that one, right? And so I love how UPS has taken that internal customer first, external view second, and it's worked. I mean, I you, you, the results are there. I mean, when you look at what UPS does, I mean, that was impressive to go from a one-person shop to a seven-person shop. I don't care what industry you're in, supplier diversity shops, don't get headcount because we're 100% express. But I think Chris talked to something, and I think you're about to make this point, Chris, she ingrained her shop differently, right? It's not just a, hey, we're a supplier diversity shop and we're going to bring diverse suppliers and parade them in front of you and isn't this great and grand. She was like, let me show you how we partner with you to make your life better and to carry through the mission of UPS and we are a piece that can help you execute. That is a key strategy. And I think that's where you're about to go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is, it is I don't consider us just a, you know, a non-operating expense. I consider us a revenue generating function. I, I track the that's revenue a world-class mindset that's right? tied to, you know, um, our suppliers that, that require us, right, to, to be active in supplier diversity. There's billions of dollars of revenue that I say, I, I can't take full credit for it, but, um, you know, these, if this is what's expected of us from, you know, this portion of our customer base. I spend a lot of time with sales. I mean, I every week I'm with sales. I'm on customer calls. I'm on sales pitches to you know to prospective customers. And so, you know, I personally invest quite a bit of time in the support of our sales force. Um, and uh, and I think that that's it brings value to the organization, and it it helps tell a more complete story of what we do. Um, and uh, and and it creates opportunities for diverse suppliers because. When customers see we do this, they expect that we do this. It reinforces our need to do this, you know, and it just, it keeps building that sort of infrastructure and flywheel where we're creating opportunities uh, for, you know, economic inclusion. So Chris, I, I got a question for you. Let's, let's, um, let's strip this down for a second. So you and I both work in supplier diversity shops where we have multiple people, right? And that's a, a luxury, but some of our listeners here are just trying to start supplier diversity. Maybe they're in a mid-sized firm and they're do, supplier diversity is one of their five hats, right? So, and, and you've got a great unique perspective of, I came in as a single person show and you really, in my mind, reinvented and re-energized the program there at UPS. So if you're going to offer some nuggets of advice to these other SD managers out there that don't have the resources that that we've been blessed with. What what would be your advice to them? How do they start? And you, you know, because they're going to listen to us and go, "There's no way." I, yeah, there's well, no they're way. UPS. You, they have yeah, yeah, money, yeah, so. yeah. What's your example? Is like take a deep breath. Uh-huh. And, you know, you know, keep calm and do X. What is that for them? Right. 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 Yeah. Well, to me, you know, when I came in, it was it was definitely overwhelming to try to learn what this was, figure out where to do and ha- how to drive it and so forth. Um, so one of the big things for me was to, to recognize that I don't have to do all parts of a world-class supplier diversity, 
you know, program and strategy and all the, the bells and whistles that if you, know, you read the books or the best practices, they're going to tell you you need to do all these things. And I, you, just can't, you don't you don't have to do all those things, right? You need to, to figure out what's going to be impactful in your own company. So, you know, tier two, for example, tier two is, you know, where we're getting our, our, our non-diverse suppliers to make sure that they're active in their supplier diversity programs. That's important. But I sort of left that as is for like a year and a half when I first came in. People were reporting numbers. I would sort of look at them. But I'm like, I got to get my own ducks in a row before I can feel like I'm even credible to go to, you know, our prime suppliers and start questioning what they're doing. Right. So I just had to let that sit for a little while uh, while I focused on, you know, rebuilding credibility within the organization and then rebuilding sort of the basic metrics, because ultimately, um, you know, you have to have you have to know what your spend is. It's not the end all be all, certainly, but you need to you do need to know what it is. And if I go, I try to run supplier diversity like any other corporate strategy, right? So, you, you know, you you got to be held accountable. So you've got to have credible metrics. So if I go to somebody and say, hey, you had you know X diverse spend, they're like, no, I didn't. I had Y. I've lost my credibility. So, you know, just basic stuff like I, I, measurements never going to be perfect. None of it is, but bringing credibility into some just basic measures and then looking at just some basic processes of how does sourcing happen? How do you know where an opportunity is? And then how am I going to make the connection between the suppliers and the buyers? And we're going to do it differently, being different sized organizations. Um, but finding that, how am I going to make that, how am I going to make that connection? Uh, for them and just take a little piece, right? Take a little piece. Uh, if, if you're if it's if you're worried about tackling everything, tackle an area of spend first, right? I mean, there's almost no area that you you know that, that you could do it wrong, other than feeling like you have to do everything because you don't. Anywhere you're making an impact is going to be um, positive, and then find people like um, Adam or myself that are happy to have conversations with you and share best practices and, and, and share a list of suppliers. You're looking for black owned suppliers. Here's mine. Right. Right. Yeah. We'll share. That is the great thing about the community. We're, we're willing to share finds. I mean, mm -hmm. we're like, please. So, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to start from scratch. Um, and I would, I would tell anybody do what makes sense for your company. Don't, yes. don't copy somebody else. Right. Um, Great point. Tying it to your organizational goals. I mean, you mentioned that earlier. And I mean, I think that's paramount in the beginning as foundational steps. Mm, that's awesome. Chris is dropping some knowledge today, people. I hope you all are taking notes. We're going to re-listen to the episode, one of the two. So now, I mean, we've given a lot of great advice to corporations and to people who are in their infancy getting started in supplier diversity roles. But I, I want to shift to the other group of our listeners and talk a little bit to our suppliers. I know, mm. Chris, that you guys meet with tons of suppliers. And, yes. you know, can you talk a little bit about some common pitfalls or mistakes that you see suppliers making and just... You know, sharing with them how they could have done that differently or just, mm -hmm. you know, because these if it's common, then it's something that I'm sure some of our listeners have done before or, you know, may do in the future. And just to think twice about it. Sure, sure. You know, you know, I have met with hundreds and hundreds of suppliers now just over the three years that I've been doing this. And one of the first things I had to learn, and I think it's great for, um, you know, potential suppliers to learn about a company is 
you know, understand that in a corporation, you know, strategic, you know, we buy strategic items, we buy differently than non-strategic items, right? So our relationship with our suppliers and what we're concerned about in the buying process is very different based on how strategic that commodity or service is to our business. So if you're selling UPS fuel or you're selling us um, office supplies, our relationships can be very different, right, between those two things because fuel is key to our business. We buy a lot of fuel, right? We have teams of people in the procurement function who are experts in fuel, who can walk out tomorrow and start their own company and be very successful based on their knowledge and relationships in that industry. And so how you approach us in those spaces is different than something we're going to buy more transactionally than, you know, parts and pieces and, you know, you know, common commodities and tools, and promotional items and, you know, that sort of stuff is going to be much more based on, you know, price and speed and availability and, um, you know, dependability of those sorts of things versus the longer term relationship and investing together and understanding where what you're selling, how that relates to sort of the company and is it strategic or non-strategic, I think can inform you on how to approach the company. You know, are you, are you approaching with a hard pitch on this is what I have? That could be great for a non-strategic item. But if it's a more strategic relationship, you really need to build the trust and demonstrate your credibility first before you come in with some sort of offer. So I think, I think that's a, a common mistake I made you know, that people make is that they just sort of come in with a hard pitch. You know, all these agencies talk about pitch competitions and trading. They're all, they're all practiced up and they just are queued up and just can't wait to spew it out. Um, <laughs> all about that. <them>, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh my goodness, that was awesome. Uh, yeah. but, but understanding um, what type of relationship the corporation wants with the supplier, I think is, is important. Um, you know, I think the other thing is that is, is the understanding that, you know, folks in a corporation, although care about diversity and we're going to go seek diverse suppliers, our obligation is to get a good agreement for our, for our company, right? And so, um, you know, we're going to expect people to respond to RFPs. We're going to expect people to, um, you know, not redline our master agreement to, to the extent that, you know, it's not worth our time putting another attorney on edition 18. Um, right. You know, of the, <laughs> right. you know, by then we moved on and said, you're too hard to deal with. So, right. Um, so it's just sort of understanding what the perspective of a corporate, you know, category manager or buyer is, I think is, is really important. And then realizing that projects at a corporation are not continuous and they're not linear. They start and stop for all sorts of reasons. Right. right? Oh, that's a great point, Chris. Um, and yeah. so, you know, that's, and it can be frustrating for sure. It can be frustrating. Um, uh, and you certainly, it's fair to ask what's going on, what's the status. So you stay informed. Um, but you got to sort of expect that, that, you know, um, when we brought on our, our, our new CEO, Carol Tomei, you know, a year ago, you know, she's brought in this great strategy about, you know, um, better, not bigger. Right. So immediately, a lot of our capital investment projects, we're building more buildings, we're doing all this. We're like, no, we're reassessing. We're going to reassess these yeah. things and really look yep. at ROI a little bit differently, shift our investments, move things that were later up sooner because they're going to fit more with our strategy. Defer some other. And so, uh, those poor suppliers, projects are going all over the place. But that's what's going <laughs> to yeah. happen. Yeah. That's what's going to happen because yeah. we've got to run, just like you have to run your business, we have to run our business. 
Um, so, you know, I think understanding that will help people. And then, I mean, maybe I'll take a breath after this, but understanding, you know, how to respond to, to an RFP and using the technology that we issue RFPs in. Uh, I know it's painful. Um, even our own RFPs can be painful. We have this whole technology, then what do we send you? It's like this complicated Excel document, macros and <laughs> tiny little fonts and all oh, yeah. in there. Um, you know, we don't do that on accident. We do that on purpose because it allows us to import it into other analysis systems right. and who responded yep. to this and who didn't respond to that and who left this blank right. and, you know, all of those things and allows us to do that analysis. Um, uh, so, you know, just accepting the fact that that's, that's a part of the deal and getting comfortable with that and, getting, you know, using those, responding to the RFPs, not missing deadlines, all those things um, um, are going to be helpful. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, you know, and and. I love the whole RFP thing too, right? And and fill out the whole RFP. I, I just want to state that for a fact. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten incomplete forms back from diverse vendors. They're like, why weren't we completed? I'm like, because you didn't do what we asked, filling out the whole RFP, you know? And then the other thing I would say too is don't overthink it. I actually had a vendor call me up and go, hey, Adam, I got a question on your RFP. I'm like, okay, yeah, what is it? He goes, gross revenue. I'm like, yeah, okay. He goes, well, is it before this, after that, is with these taxes? And I'm like, it's is gross what? revenue. Really? It's just yeah. oh, gross revenue, gosh. dude. Yeah, it's like, don't don't get twisted on that one. So, yeah, don't freak out. It's just an RFP, kids. Yeah. And so, some answer is better, you know, better than no answer. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I, we'd love right. it to be exactly on point. But if, if you don't do exactly what we're asking for, tell us what you do this close, right? Tell us what you do right. that will meet the same need, right? Um, we may ask if you have a continuity plan that will extend into perpetuity and maybe you don't, but what you do right. have is another plan. So tell right. us about that, you know? Right, right. right. And like Chloe yeah. and I have said before, Uncle Eddie, your rich uncle is not a continuity plan, everybody. No. Just let's just make sure no, we're clear on that one too. Not. And then, you know, ask, ask people for help. I mean, the, the truth is my, my team, nothing makes them happier than a supplier who's taking this process seriously and wants to do well. So uh, I just had a, a great call last week with a uh, black-owned marketing firm, uh, agency of record firm, really impressive work based out in California. And we got them to sit, we got our vice president of advertising and her team to sit down with them. And so uh, Larique Days on my team, who, who just joined this year, he is a natural in this work. So he reached out to them and he helped them prepare. And he gave them some good background insights, like, Hey, know this about the personality of our company. Know this about the personality of the people you're going to talk about. Hey, by the way, next month is our 114th anniversary. So, you know, having that knowledge allowed them to sort of slip a little example of what they could do for those sorts of events. Um, so leverage your supplier diversity people to help you prepare, whether it's in filling out the RFP or, you know, whatever it is, you know, ask for help, right? Ask for help and ask the questions. Um you know, more than willing, we are category teams are more than willing to help. Um, you know, we all want the diverse suppliers to be successful. So if there's something we can do, um, we'll find a way to do it. Awesome. So Chris, I, I'm, I was also curious, you know, when we talk about, well, in that example, marketing firms, it's, you know, it's easy to find diverse suppliers, you know, and I think it's easy, easier and in professional services, you know, how difficult is it to find diverse suppliers and some of the sourcing needs that UPS has? I mean, you mentioned fuel earlier, I know conveyors and all the other various things that you guys are sourcing. Yeah. Some areas are tough. I mean, you yeah. know, we buy jet airplanes, 
there's not a lot of jet airplane producers, right, that are, that are diverse yeah. today. Boeing and Bombardier um, are definitely yeah. not diverse firms. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We also contract a lot of small aircraft, right, to do what we call mm. feeder runs. And uh, there are some great small and diverse companies in those spaces that have little yeah. aircraft that run up in Alaska, or run down the West Coast and do all this stuff. So, um, so getting creative, yeah, it's right? getting creative and it's looking a little deeper, right? It's looking deeper right. beyond the airline and saying, mm. you know, well, parts, right? Parts service. We have tremendous sure. diversity among um, suppliers of airline parts and, and repair mm-hmm. services. Same thing at automotive parts. Um, I, I've forgotten the number now, but a, but a large percentage of the automotive parts that go into our fleet we buy from women, women-owned businesses. Uh, wow. And uh, there, there's a great aluminum business in North Carolina started with 11 people and they just started cleaning certain auto parts for us. And they mm. came up with a, a better way to clean it. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, you were just cleaning North Carolina parts, but we want to send you all of South Atlantic. And then we want to send you all the East Coast. And then we want you to have all of North America. And then can you clean these parts too? And and by the way, since you're cleaning them, if, if it looks like they've expired and it's time for them to be recycled, can you just provide us a new one? And then that way we just deal with you. And it's just grown over the years. That is uh, wonderful. Uh, just based on you know their success and their and their credibility, so people want these relationships to work, and they will you know our teams will work hard to make them successful. Yeah, but see, I know, and I just want to point out something that you said there. I mean, that supplier was innovative. You know, she came and brought a solution, a new way of cleaning something. It's already been done but brought something that was very, very unique. And so, I mean, I just think that that's important to just And, and here's out. why I like what Chris's team did. They said, oh yeah, by the way, you're not doing this, but can you do this? Right, right. and that's that's yeah. another way we can help develop suppliers, right? Or have suppliers, right. you know, be be reciprocal to that suggestion. If a corporate comes to you and says, hey, can you do X? You better say, if I can't, give me 24 hours and I'll figure <laughs> out how, right? The answer is never no. The answer is not right now, give me time and I will. Because I mean, look at what that did. I yes. mean, what, what? just out of curiosity, do you know what her headcount is now? Went from 11 to, to what? Do you have a guess? I don't know. She's still as humble as the day is long. Um, but I've lost, I've lost track of how, how big her organization and how many fleets they now service with this. That's essentially now a package uh, service that they run, um, uh, out of this HLMF logistics is their name, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, really pleased with them. Yeah. Shout out to, to Amy Bush and her team. They're fantastic. Uh, but what I'll tell you is, um, not only were they receptive, but what they understood was total cost of ownership. And that's a great example of what I try to talk to people about you're selling an item and how do you differentiate yourself? Well, don't forget that, you know, we could implement your item faster than somebody else's. Training doesn't take as long, right? You will you will take care of the recycling. You know, you'll what what are the value adds around that and how do you impact our total cost? Because it can be hard to compete head to head just on a commodity because you get got to produce it or you got to buy it you got to ship it and there's just cost to that but when you start wrapping in the whole package you have ability to differentiate yourself and that's what amy's team did is they said well you know you got this part we're cleaning it now but then you ship it back and then realize after it's clean that it's got a crack and you can't use it so then you got to go somewhere else to replace it well why don't we just do all that here right and your total cost for this item goes down because we can just do all that here and you know, together they found a way to save us a ton of money and build their and time. Same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I just want to get y'all's thoughts on just, I know we've, a lot has happened over the last year. And what I've seen is a lot of companies 
you know, which is great. Say, I want to start supplier diversity programs. I want to reinvest in our supplier diversity programs and teams of people. A lot of supplier diversity pro professionals have had a lot of stress put on them. But what do you think the current state of supplier diversity is right now in the U.S.? I mean, now that we're, you know, behind, have 2020 behind us and are moving ahead, what, what do you guys think the state is? Yeah, I think we're sort of on a really critical edge right now. And I would love to say it's an edge of tremendous opportunity because I think there is tremendous opportunity. But there's some decisions that organizations and corporations need to make about how we move forward in engaging diverse suppliers. I don't have, don't certainly don't have all the answers, but like everything else I do, I, I want to pick at it and break it and put it back together and see, see how we come to this. You know, the old way of doing supplier diversity where you've got, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 diverse suppliers and you're sort of passing them around and you meet them the same, the same ones at the same conferences every year is not moving the needle. So finding ways to engage new businesses and bring them in to be a part of this network, I think is really important. And, and I don't think we have it fully figured out yet, right? You have challenges around certification. You have challenges around um, how do you bring them in and are corporations ready to deal with them? Uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of money involved with organizations, so it's complicated, um, but the need is so clear, the demand is so clear that we do this, but we are going to have to, I think, break free of old ways of doing things and embrace new ways of doing things. And um, I'm hopeful, uh, but I, I don't think the end of the story is not written yet. I don't know how it's going to turn out. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not. And I, and I, I want to echo Chris's statements because I think from the corporate America side, we, we as corporate America, regardless if you're in transportation, logistics, banking, whatever, name it, food prep. We've all got to decide how this is done, uh -huh. right? I, I give you a great case in point. You know, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm actually mentoring a sports car manufacturer that's not based in the U.S., but I, their North, uh, North America office is here. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm mentoring that supplier diversity leader. And right now it's just how do we improve our reporting, which don't get me wrong, it's not a bad way to go, but it does show a dispersion way of doing things right is it just going to be a reporting exercise or is it going to be a community engagement exercise okay. and okay i'm just going to go ahead and say it i think the billion dollar round table is antiquated there it is i've said it it's antiquated because because there are organizations like mine that will never make it and i think that we have a fairly robust and comprehensive program we'll never be at the table because our spend will never be at that level unless things change significantly for us uh, so I think you're leaving bright minds, great ideas and processes out in the cold uh, with some of these two, Chris's point, I think, antiquated ways of doing things. And we need not to be afraid to stop doing it that way, challenge everything and reinvent it yeah. on both sides, suppliers and corporates alike. We, we all need to say, how do we challenge the, the norm and how do we do it differently? Yeah, it's got to yeah, be about economic inclusion. It's got to be it about yes. however yes. we do it, yes. reach more businesses in a meaningful way. It's not about making 10 billionaires. Uh, you know, right. It's let's make a thousand thousand errors, whatever it is. There you, you know, go. Let's, yes. Let's the uh, thousand ears club. Let's I like see that. communities <laughs> change. Let's see communities okay, change. Okay, everybody heard it here first. We're starting the thousand ears club. That's right. <laughs> thousand ears. Thousand Coming to ears, a city yes. near you, people. Watch out. <laughs> so, I love it. I love it. We, gotta, yes. we have to focus on that, which means we have to bring in different suppliers. We have to be focused on impact as opposed to. Yeah. 
regardless of you know how many suppliers it goes to. Um, and we got to relook at the certification thing. Certification, I, I get certification is is important, but um, we have really got to take a fresh look, a way to do it that is lighter, that is still meaningful, um, that doesn't take six months to get done, uh, that doesn't have to be renewed every year in some sort of laborious fashion, that doesn't bring the expense and the weights and the just the, the obstacle that it is today. Um, but and but, one searchable yeah. database, one <laughs> one searchable <laughs> database. Do you yeah. guys hear me? The, the, the certifying agencies. Technology is going to come with it. But to be honest, certifying agencies are they're corporate members, so that they're working to make uh, people like you and I, Adam, happy. And and uh, if they're afraid to change, it's because they're afraid that we won't like it. Exactly. Right? I couldn't <laughs> agree more. No, I couldn't agree more. Right. It's it's that old adage. If you want change, look in the mirror. Exactly. There's too many competing companies there that have different competing goals. It's hard for one organization to try to make all of them happy. And to Chris's point, I mean, we can we can paint this utopian picture all we want. Right. I mean, we can create any sort of society. But to actually make it work, it's a very complex. It's a very it's complex, very complex. You know, yeah. but we can't let that complexity scare us away from doing it, challenging it, or talking about it. And, right. and yeah. Right. And that's why I'm so glad we have leaders like Chris who who will lead that conversation. Whether you want to have it or not, Chris will lead the conversation with you. Okay. Well, I told you I like, I like to go and break things and rebuild them. So I know. <laughs> I know. That's why you and I have always gotten along so well. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Chris like, breaking. I'm like, name the date and time. Let's go. But, but, you know, I, I am optimistic. I, I am optimistic. I just think this is a really exciting time yes, to be agreed. in this work. People yeah. are starting to understand it. People are starting yep. to value it. People are starting to support it. They're starting to yeah. resource it a little bit more. Yep. Well, They're also seeing the advantage. impact in yeah. real time, too. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We have, to, we have to take advantage of this moment and not let it sort of pass us by. Right. Is to really get our teeth into let's take this yep. time to make some meaningful change so we can, you know, we can make some step changes. I'd love to see different types of certifications by industry. I'd love to see all oh, sorts of things like that. That, that would be great. Do. Yep. Um, so that that we can grow the network and grow the engagement. And then then we're yes. the gas. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, Chris, thank you so thank much. Thank you. For this has been awesome. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, you too as well. Like I said, you're, you're two of my favorite people in this space. Um, you, you drive real, I mean, yeah, seriously, you drive important conversations. Um, and I, I am, I am honored to be able to spend a little time with you today. So thank uh, you. We are, we are more than thrilled to have had you join us today. Yes, yes, yes. And make sure to check out our previous episodes. If you yes. haven't already continue to support the podcast. Also be sure to check us out on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. See you guys later. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us and participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.